There we go. Now it works. How's it going, everybody? Good. Bob's good. A couple other people in the back. All right, good. I'm glad. As long as I mean, that's, they, Bob's, Bob's enthusiasm is infectious. So we're all going to be good here momentarily. Let me catch it. <laughs> um, awesome. Hey, oh, well, we are in this uh, sermon series, Summer of Love. Summer, we're talking about love. Summer of Love. Sermon title. Uh, and what we've been doing is we've been actually starting off uh, with some testimonies, people sharing about, you know, how they came to grow into God's love, how they came to understand God's love, and we have a special guest. Um, we are seeing a lot of the Carnes this morning because we have Sean for announcements, and now Michelle Carnes is going to come up here uh, and share with us. You know, the Carnes are like, they were at the very beginning. Of in the beginning was Sean and Michelle Carnes of I ninety Community Church. In the beginning, <laughs> Jesus and Sean and Michelle and some other people. Yeah, so uh, Jesus was there. This is there too. Yeah, mo- most importantly. So I'm excited to have uh, Michelle come and, and and share a little of her testimony. So let's welcome her. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Trey. Yes. Now you all listen to me. No, I'm just kidding. I want to see uh, Trey panic for a moment there. Okay. So um, I grew up in Bellevue, uh, Washington, and uh, my family of seven had everything. We did the family vacations, I had all the clothes, the ballet classes, all the things. I was number four of five children, and uh, most of the time, I would say um, I felt pretty ignored. Um, my little brother was eight years after me, not exactly planned as part of their story. Um, And so, yeah, I would say, you know, I can honestly say I can't remember, like, being read to. Um, I wasn't taught how to tie my shoes. I still do them wrong to this day. Sean makes fun of me. Um, Did you do the the bunny ears? I don't know. Anyways. Okay, so we grew up Catholic, which for me was just kind of like uh, checking a box. And it, it just had no meaning and it had no purpose. And, and honestly, it just felt dumb. It just felt stupid. Um, and in middle school, which is generally the time most kids ask themselves, you know, do I agree with my parents? On a faith level around middle and high school is when they do that. And I was like a hard no, hard pass. Um, I rejected it all, and I refused to go and be part of any church. Um, in my mind, and all the churches were exactly the same. So uh, there was always something missing, and as I look back now, I can clearly say that that was love, that I wasn't feeling loved. Um, Throughout high school, I'd fill my love tank with all sorts of things like um, alcohol and drugs and boys, and eventually life itself just became completely pointless. Um, We were born, we live, we die, nothing mattered, and I took a big scary risk with my life, and I'm shocked today to say that I'm alive and that I'm not in jail, you know, really, Um, because um, during that time, it was, you know, die today, die 80 years. So honestly, what's what's the difference? So senior, I was faced with potentially not graduating or my mom grabbing me by the the shirt and saying, you will graduate. (laughs) Like, oh, (laughs) that's scary. Uh, My boyfriend, Sean Carnes, uh, struggled to date me because, um, honestly, I was just really such a mess. Um, but he seemed to have this drive for life and purpose, and I was drawn to him. And looking back now, it was really Christ shining through him. 
he invited me to a Young Life Club. If you don't know what Young Life is, it's youth outreach. Um, we invite disinterested middle and high school kids to what's called club, like meetings. And um, I was invited to that. Um, and now I work for them, more on that later. But um, it was this high school club and this meeting, this leader shared testimony, much like I'm doing right now. And I leaned in and I was enamored by how much I related to his story. He spoke about his family where he felt ignored, a church he couldn't relate to, and a mess he had made of his life. But then the good part. A new life and a new purpose with Christ. It was then I learned of a God beyond comprehension. A God who created the world and sent his son to die for me. For me. This took some time for me to leap into this step of faith. And the people around me were patient as I sorted all that out. I slowly started to dive in. My young life leader had a Bible study, which was very intimidating for me, but helpful. I saw prayer modeled to me for the very first time. As you sit there, please don't ask me to pray. Please don't ask me to pray. But it was modeled to me really great. Uh, most of what I learned was on my own reading the Bible, though. I spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians. I don't know why, uh, but I just did. I wanted to understand what the Bible said about things in church that I grew up with that I didn't understand, like communion. What in the world is that? Spiritual gifts? Whoa. <laughs> that was, uh, was mind-blowing, honestly. I spent a lot of time in chapter 13, which I'm going to read. Uh, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. See, love wasn't modeled to me well and growing up, but it, but it was modeled to me through these young life leaders. So I went on to graduate, barely. But I did. I had a newfound desire to live and grow. I went to Bellevue College. And I'm pretty sure I basically had to redo high school at Bellevue College. Um, I visited uh, different churches, and I asked a lot of questions. And I continued to lear learn and grow in my faith. And ultimately, though, I desired to find God's purpose for me, um, God's, God's purpose for me, and live it out well. Um, I, the very first verse I memorized was Romans 12, 1. Let's see if I can do this. Um, I don't memorize well. I'm actually dyslexic, and so it's really hard for me to memorize. Uh, but this was the first, back then, this is the first verse I memorized. It's Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to lift up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Huh, I did it. Okay. Okay. Yes, so, but what's interesting about that is, I mean, just God just kind of made a way for me to memorize this first because it just replayed over and over and over in my head over all these years. And it was that verse that drew me to a calling of sharing Jesus with kids. It started with the church. It started serving um, with preschool kids, later elementary, and, from, and, um, and then later middle and high school kids. Um, also, a little side note, if you are somebody who uh, struggles to know and understand scripture, I highly recommend serving with the littles because, and asking to teach the littles because then you need to go and learn all 
those things and be able to teach them. And you learn so much in that process as a new believer. Um, and also veggie tales. Very good, very good. But you will learn a ton in that process. So God later uh, brought Young Life back into my life. I am currently on staff with Young Life um, and serving middle and high school kids. Um, I share my testimony with students. I help them grow in their faith. And now, and I did that for, gosh, over a decade. And today, um, I go to new areas in uh, Washington and Montana and Wyoming, and I get to train other people how to share their faith with youth. So, do you all want to know the secret to all of this? It's love. It's love for me in the beginning. Someone had to care enough about me to invite me to hear this great news of Jesus. What if Sean Carnes, if you don't know, he's my husband, FYI. Um, if Sean Carnes didn't invite me, what if, he, what if he didn't invite me to a Young Life Club? And, and side note to that, I don't recommend missionary dating. No, do not do that. But he invited me, right? And what if, what if these adults um, didn't care enough to enter my world and pursue me with that invitation? How many no's did those leaders have to hear until they got a yes from me? What if they let one of those no's stop them and it never got to me? And ultimately, because of my history, all I really needed was someone to see past my mess, past all my lack of scripture and Christ and the church and what life is supposed to look like um, and care enough to love me right where I'm at. The end. <laughs> Anything else, Pastor Trey? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Michelle was like, well, you going to ask me like questions at the end? I said, I don't know, maybe I will. So You don't have to. No, no, no I, I, okay. I think I'd like to, I'd like to ask okay. a couple questions. I was trying to, I was, I was struggling to, like, to word them, though. Um, okay, so, so like, uh, you have these people, like, coming and, and continuing to mm -hmm. share, you know, like, love for you. Mm -hmm. um, how did that feel <laughs> while you still weren't saying yes? Oh, I mean, I think I was just so, such a mess, just yeah. so broken, and they were just seeing past that, that I was just super open and receptive to it. I mean, I mean, I, I go into the world of kids all the time, and it's, 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 it's rough. It's, it's, it's rough out there, yeah. Trey, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, especially disinterested kids, and who are you? And find friends your own age, seriously. But um, that's <laughs> how it feels. Um, and I'm sure that's how they felt as well. But I, but in during that time, I was just very open and willing. And I just, I was just so desperate for, yeah. to feel that. Okay. Um, so. So it wasn't like, I, I mean, on one level, like they're they're coming and they're they're loving you, serving you, caring mm -hmm. about you, speaking to you, encouraging you, and you're not really like it doesn't like click. Right, but it's still good. Like, like mm -hmm. the love that you're receiving, like, still yeah. is valuable. But then eventually, it clicks. Yes. It's like the reason for it, the, yeah. the message behind it. Eventually, yeah. Clicks. It definitely took some time. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people have the date they accepted Christ, yes. where I can't pinpoint that date because yeah. it was just a long period of time of being pursued by these leaders and being asked to go camping and having conversations in the tent until 
you know, the middle of the night or whatever. And so um, it looked like coffee. It looked like um, just really simple things. Um, but as I grew closer and closer to a final, my own conclusion of, yeah, all right. This, this makes sense. Yes. This love, this message makes sense suddenly. Yes. Not yes. in a click moment, but in just like, uh, here, here I am. You're home yeah. all of a sudden. I may have even had a few like, okay. God, if you're real, turn the light green now. <laughs> Did it work? No. <laughs> it didn't work. No. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good. So. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, Siri was talking to me. I don't know why. Um, so cool. I love that story. Um, and that's, that's it. Okay, well, we'll talk about this more as we come along here. So we're in this series. We're talking about love, and, and we're asking kind of a, a different question each time. And last week we talked about, well, how does God love us? Like, what is, what is that like to be loved by God? And, and, and then we're asking the question now, like, well, how do we, how do we love God? Um, but I think before we ask that question, we, we have to ask this question, do we need to love God? Do we need to love God? And I think the uniquely Christian answer, answer Jesus' answer, was a resounding yes. Like, we are made to love God. We have a need, a deep need to love God. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, Jesus is approached by a group of people who want to, at least they, they seem to think they want to, they, they believe that they want to, and I think they're probably sincere. Like, they want to obey God's law. They want to love God well. And so they ask him, Jesus, they, they come to him, they say, Jesus, which, of the, which command in the law is the greatest, right? Because they're trying to figure out, how do we do this? Like, how do we prioritize things? How do we prioritize obedience, which we think is the same thing as, as love? He says, which of the commands of the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. See, Jesus makes something really clear here. And I think he, he's, it's, it's what he's trying to communicate throughout his ministry. If you want to worship God, if you really want to obey him, if you want to really have a life with him, a life that he invites you into, if you want to do that, then you have to love him. Love is the basis for that relationship. Love is the only thing that will actually lead to true worship and true obedience and a real life with God. Love is the thing that when it's in us, like it's going to make everything make sense. It's going to make it all click. It's going to make it so that you're just like, oh, this isn't just like, like a pain. I'm not doing things from duty anymore. But the Christian life becomes easy when you have love in your heart for God. Jesus taught his followers in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. His point isn't, his point is not that we prove our love through obedience. So really what we need to do is work really hard at obeying the law. That's what the Pharisees were doing. That's, they were saying, just we got to obey all the right laws the right ways, and then we will prove that we love God. What he's saying is not that. What he is saying, his point is, is that when we love God, when we love him, the natural outflow of our love will be obedience. 
So start with love. Start with developing love for God. That is the thing. Out of that will come the obedience. And, and the point of all this is to make it clear. Love is what matters for a follower of Jesus. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. It's the only thing that won't let you down. Your will, your intention to do the right thing all the time will let you down. My will lets me down all the time. When I instead focus on like trying to be a person who wants all the right things and I just say, I actually just want to focus on becoming a person who just loves God well, that is when I find that my heart doesn't fail me that I'm able to obey in a way that I couldn't, like I have a resource that I'm tapping into called love, and it doesn't let me down. Because love alone is up to the task of overcoming our weakness, our discouragement, our failures, love alone. To develop a love for God is to develop the resilience that we need to overcome the classic obstacles of persevering in the Christian life that Athanasius identified, the word, the world of the flesh and the devil. These are the things that are the obstacles to us moving forward in the Christian life, and love is the way that we overcome. We resist the devil by loving the Lord. We resist our own flesh by loving the Lord. We resist the world and all its temptations by loving God more. Love never fails, because love is actually able to deliver on the obedience that we intend in a way that our will alone cannot. Love can do what the will cannot do. So, if you or if I want to become the kind of person who is enjoying all the promises of a life with God, all the promises of a new life in Christ, if you want to have a satisfying life with God, then you need love. I need love. That's the problem, right? That's, that's the, the crux of the issue. How do I grow in love for God? Because it's simple enough to try to employ the Nike strategy. What's the Nike strategy? Just do it. If you want to love God, just love God. Come on, just do it. Nike, that's it. Power through, find some strength that you don't possess, not seeming like good. I mean, I'm not an athlete. Right? So this makes sense to athletes. I'm going to find something extra down inside. I, there's nothing in me to find, just to be honest. Like, this is my experience of uh, being athletic. So, um, I don't think the Nike strategy, just do it, will get you very far. If you set yourself to just love, it won't be long till you catch yourself being angry and resentful and disappointed or apathetic, lacking love. Right? So that's a big problem. What do you do with that? If you don't just do it, how do we love well? Well, we have some indications of how do, how do, we, how do we grow into spiritual maturity, which is to develop love for God in our hearts. 1 John 4.19 gives us a clue. We love because he first loved us. The basis on which we love God is his love previous to our love. Without him loving us first, we don't have the resources or the ability to love him. That's why we began our series last week focusing on the truth that we are loved by God. We talked about Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love towards us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't deserve it. 
There was nothing in me, in my will, and in my intention that was so worthy of God's love that I earned it. No, while I was still disinterested, unable, unloving, even God's enemy, he died for my sake. He loved me. He went to the cross to draw me to himself and take care of my sin and my flesh and my weakness. While I was still his enemy, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Christ died for you. Knowing that God loves you is the thing, it is the key, it is the foundation, it is the seed that he plants in your life that grows and flowers into love. You can't grow something without a seed. And you can't make a seed, I can't make a seed. Somebody's got to give that to me. I don't have love within me. I don't have the love I need for God within me. God gives me something and he plants it in my life. It's the gospel and it grows into love. So we stand on the re revelation that Jesus has demonstrated his love towards us in this. First John uh, goes, like the, the verse before, First uh, John 4, 19 is First John 4, 18. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah, you learn something new every day. It says this, uh, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. God loves us. And that will, should, can, if we, if we stand in that truth, it will cast out the fear that we have of punishment, of rejection, of not being loved. If we know and are assured of the fact that he does love us and there's nothing that we can do to stop him from loving us, he loves us. And when we accept that, it casts out fear, it brings out and develops love within us. The message of the gospel, the proclamation, not a proposition, a proclamation that it has been done. Jesus has paid the price for sin for the sake of love, to ransom the lost, the broken. That is, that is like the good news that we hold on to. And because he loved us first, we love him. But there's something I really want you to understand. And it's a little subtle, okay? I'm feeling very nerdy right now. <laughs> um, I, I need you to understand why it is the case, why it is the case that we love him because he first loved us how that works, like the dynamic of it. Because I think most of us assume that knowing God's love is supposed to make us love him because of the principle of reciprocity. By which I mean the idea that we should love God because we owe it to him, because he's been so nice to us. That's reciprocity. Somebody scratch my back, I scratch your back. Reciprocity, right? So most of us think that what, what, what we're told in the Bible is that we need to love him because he's loved us so good. And aren't, are, are we really that? Are we going to be really so ungrateful? How rude, right? <laughs> right? I, so, we, so we think that we owe God that. So we think we need to drum up something. We need to drum up gratitude. Like we think, oh, the love that I'm going to have for God is just going to be as a result of, of the reciprocal gratitude that I have for the things he's done. But I actually don't think that that is the logic of the gospel. 
And this is, gets a little subtle, okay? So there's a guy named Richard Hayes. He's a, a, probably the, the foremost living Christian ethicist, right? Writes about theology and ethics and stuff like that. He explains something that's really interesting about how Paul presents this gospel and the way it's going to play out in life. And, and he's trying to explain the motivation for, for Christian obedience, right, which is closely connected to Christian love. How is it that we obey and love God? And he says this, okay? Stay with me on this. This is really interesting. He says there is, he's talking about Paul's presentation of it, right? Obviously, we're in John, but it all, it all agrees with each other. He says, there is interestingly no emphasis in Paul on gratitude as a motive for obedience. That's a big claim. He never says, in effect, well, God's done something nice for us, so we should return the favor by doing something nice for God. Instead, Paul seems to see moral action as a logical entailment of God's redemptive action. For Paul, God's transforming act in Christ conditions all reality. Insofar as we perceive the truth about God's redemptive work in the world, we will participate gladly in the outworking of God's purpose. Conversely, if we fail to act in a way consonant or consistent with God's will, we are living in a state of contradiction. We're failing to understand what is going on about us. A little complicated, but I'd love to just kind of press in here a little bit. In other words, I think what he's saying is that as, at least as Paul sees it, at least as the Bible presents it, our love for God and our obedience to him is not motivated by gratitude. Our love is actually motivated by revelation. I've got a slide that says that, actually. Real big letters, right? Just to make sure that you know. Um, it is not reciprocity that's the principle for my love, but actually revelation. God has revealed some truths, and so my love is flowing out of those truths. It's motivated by the fact that God has demonstrated in Christ. We love and obey him, not because we owe it to him, but because it is the only reasonable thing to do, considering what he has said is true about the world that we live in. Hayes goes on, he says, in sum, Paul sees the community of faith being caught up into the story of God's remaking the world through Jesus Christ. Thus, the, <laughs> to make, to make, it says the make, to make ethical discernment is, for Paul, simply to recognize our place within the story of redemption, within the epic story of redemption. How, so, so, like, where is my love going to come from? Not from gratitude, but by recognizing, oh, my gosh, I have a place in this story. Not because I wanted it, not because I earned my way into it, but Jesus Christ died for sinners, and so now I have something to do, someone to be. I can be a part of God's kingdom. That might seem subtle or insignificant, but think of it this way. Say you suddenly find yourself in a dark room. Close your eyes. Think about that. Suddenly find yourself, you wake up in a dark room, someone yells down at you, there's a light switch somewhere in this room, go find it. And so you, you're in a dark room, you start to grope around, who knows, maybe it's the size of a warehouse, a giant room, there's a tiny light switch, maybe it's not at a normal light switch height, maybe it's on the floor, maybe it's on the ceiling, there's a light switch there somewhere, you've got to go find it. Now consider this, 
you suddenly find yourself in a dark room. Might be a big room, might be a small room. Someone yells from you outside, says, the room is not dark. Open your eyes. Different sorts of things. The difference is, and I think it applies here, Jesus first loved us. Jesus has come into the world. He is light. He is truth. He is revelation. He's not telling us what could be. He's telling us what is. He's come to seek and save the lost. He has already paid the price for our sin. If only we would open our eyes and see it. He's not saying, find the gratitude switch and flip it. Good luck. Hopefully, you can drum up the right emotions in your heart. He's saying, I've already done all the work. Just open your eyes. You don't have to go seeking to find some emotional response that you don't have. You need to wake up and realize what's all around you. And the surprise and delight will lead you to love. Somebody turned on the lights. I've lived in darkness this whole time. And I could have just opened my eyes. And now I've heard a word from outside myself that says, would you see and would you live in the light? It's a big difference to stand on revelation instead of reciprocity. The thing about me, and maybe it's true for you, is that I am sometimes grateful, but I am oftentimes selfish, self-indulgent, ungrateful. So if my love for God is contingent upon my gratefulness, then I just have to like do this work of shaping my emotions, and I'm not capable of doing that. But if my love for God is actually something that he has given and supplied all the conditions to develop, that is, he supplied the revelation, he supplied the grace, he supplied everything that needed, he's involved me in the story, and I need only to recognize that I am already in the story because of what he's done... That's a much easier thing than trying to manipulate my own emotions, which I might be able to do for a time, but I can't do every day because I am not that stable of a person. Are you? God is remaking the world. That is the gospel. It is not our part to drum up thankfulness. It is simply to open our eyes, delight in the truth revealed in Jesus Christ. The kingdom is here. It is open because of his sacrifice, because he's taken away sin. We are called in. God is here. He's making all things new in Christ. His love is generously radiating out in Christ. We have only to look to him not drum up an emotional response. We have only to gaze upon his beauty and just say, gosh, this makes my whole life make sense. His love makes my life make sense for the first time. You don't have to look at your flesh or your weakness to love God. You look at the grace and power supplied in Jesus Christ, faithfully working out its way in you as you just turn to him. You give yourself to him. God has revealed that by giving himself, the gift of himself, the gift of his grace, he has changed what it means to be a person and how we can be people in this world. And now life is all the way to the shore. But by faith in what he has revealed, that we have a part in the epic story of redemption. 
how Paul describes this epic story of dimension, we, we, we find it in Ephesians 1. He's describing what God has done in Jesus Christ. And this is where we locate ourselves, by faith. He says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He, and I've skipped a few verses as we go along to just kind of tighten this up, I apologize. Uh, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan, uh, as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we are predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that uh, we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you were also sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Paul is proclaiming the story of redemption that Jesus is, 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 is making possible, and it involves me, and it involves you. We are finding ourselves by faith located in this story, believing that it's true that he is bringing everything together in Christ, both things on heaven and things on earth. Through Jesus' sacrifice, he is reconciling all things and restoring all things, and that includes me. For some reason that I can't understand. Through faith, we are receiving right now an inheritance. We have been given, and I think the substance of that inheritance is eternal life, but also the Holy Spirit. Right now, you have God's self, his very nature, pouring out into your life by faith. You are being saved. You are able to live a life with God right now by faith. You might be grateful, and I'm not saying don't be grateful, by the way. I think gratefulness is a natural response, but your gratefulness is not the basis of your life. It's what Jesus has done and invited you into, the story of him reconciling the world and all things, yourself included. You just get to wake up and just see this is awesome. What Jesus did is the basis for your, for, for your rejoicing. So how do we grow in love? This is going to be like a two-part, how do we grow in love, because i got to wrap it up. Um, but the, the first point of this two-part uh, series, and this is kind of where we'll leave it, is that we grow in love. Okay, I mean, obviously, re re revelation, right? But we grow in love, and we, we understand this. We grow in love by the power of the Spirit. Because part of what Jesus is revealing is he's, he's saved us, he's given us inheritance, he's put his Spirit within us. We're just caught up in this epic story of redemption. And so, so we grow in, and we, by grow, I mean really experience, like work out that love, let that love tra transform us and, and like become like a well and a source, a source for our, our life and our existence. We grow in that love by the power of the Spirit. It's something supernatural that God is doing. He's giving it to us as a gift, that's true for you right now. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not alone. You have the Holy Spirit within you. Jesus has saved you, sealed you, put his spirit within you if you've put your faith in him. And now when you come to him by faith, 
like someone who's just like opening, opening their eyes, then the Spirit is now at work in you. Like you're, you're a part of this plan of redemption. And you only have to just know and believe and, and, and put your faith in the fact that this is true. And what God does as we do that and as we continue the, the process of trust, which is another word for faith, believing that what he proclaims to be true, then God does something. Romans 5.5, 5, hope will not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God's love... A love for God is not being poured out because I'm like suddenly like doing such a good job and performing so well and I'm suddenly being so grateful. I realize and recognize Jesus Christ died for me. I realize and recognize that that is not the end of it, but in fact, he now has, I have an inheritance. I'm walking in fullness of life. He's put his spirit within me and now God is just pouring love into my heart because that's how he's remaking me. That's how he's restoring me. He's just doing it. And I just have to sit there and just say, isn't what God does amazing? Like he's doing it, which will, of course, bring about a lot of gratefulness in me. But it's not contingent upon my gratefulness. You have the life of God in you if by faith you, you've, you've trusted yourself to him. And now he is doing something in you. And so the call is, and this is like the, like the substance of, our, of our, uh, our growth, is that we are now just to participate with what God is doing. We're just supposed to like, like sit in the story of redemption and just let it work out. Galatians 5, starting verse 16, then we're going to skip a little bit to the end, you know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, I say to you, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit craves. The spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These are two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Skipping ahead a little bit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. So the principle is participation in revelation. God has revealed that the Holy Spirit is in you, and we participate in that by just let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Let him do the things. Let him give you the desires that you don't have, right? He says, the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what our sinful nature desires. I don't have the love of God driving me towards choosing and obeying. Yeah, that's true. You don't have that in yourself. The Holy Spirit is working that in you. He's giving you those desires. He's pouring out love that you didn't have, like a seed planted and growing. Something that comes from outside of you. A product of, of his work and his revelation. He's giving you joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Hayes again kind of wraps it up, putting a pin on it. He says, uh, and the worship team can come up as we, as we kind of wrap up. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a theological abstraction, but a manifestation of God's presence in the community, making everything new. Those who respond to the gospel have entered the sphere of the Spirit's power. 
where they find themselves changed and empowered for obedience. Changed and empowered for obedience. That's hard to apply, isn't it? Be changed and empowered for obedience. But it is the proposition of the gospel that as God saves us and redeems us, he is doing this work, pouring out the Spirit. And so, participation is agreement. Participation is also just like seeking that. Seeking that spiritual work, the supernatural work of God. Like, he's already wanting to do it. So much of it is that we just don't believe it, right? We don't locate ourselves in this story. We think, no, God's left me out. Sure, maybe God's taken my sin away, but he's left me out of the Holy Spirit part. Well, he's told you that's not true. He's reconciling heaven and earth together in Jesus Christ. If he's saved you, if he's loved you, he's pouring out his spirit in you. It's there. He's doing it. We might have some fleshly desires that war against the spirit. We just need to let the spirit guide our lives. We need to trust him. We need to seek him. That's a complicated and emotional work. It involves co confronting my, my, my sin and, and my blindness in a lot of cases. But the cure to blindness is to open my eyes and to let him do the work. If you want to get more practical, come back next week. Because <laughs> there's more. They, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. That seems a little woo. -woo. But I do think it is the substance of revelation that we just have to understand. God has done the work, and so we stand on that by faith. And it is a good life that we're invited to. It is a good thing to be devoting yourself to seeking the empowering of the Holy Spirit and letting him guide, guide your lives. And as you do the work of trust, which you know how to trust, you know how to develop trust. Everybody does. As you do those things and you start to walk in the power of the Spirit, what you will find is that that trust is going to be met with transformation and empowerment. That is at least the promise of Scripture. That's the promise, promise of revelation. We need to walk by that truth. So, Lord Jesus, some things are hard for us to understand, Lord, but we just want to locate ourselves by faith into your story and just receive all that you have. Lord, I pray you would stir up a desire for more of your spirit at work within us. Lord, I pray that you would, I mean, I don't, we don't need like a, a fleshly emotional thing. We need spiritual power that comes from you. Holy Spirit, would you come into this place? Lord, would you come into our lives? Lord, we know you're already there. By come, we mean just like, would you teach us how to welcome you? Teach us how to trust you. Would you teach us how to stand firm on what you say is true, that you've sealed us by your Spirit, and you have given us an inheritance, and that right now in this life we can walk according to the riches of your grace and your Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you fill us up and transform us? God, make us people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, pour out your love in our hearts. Lord, give us a love that we don't have, a love that you had for us and that comes from what you've done. Lord, we stand in your grace. Set us free to love you, Lord. 
empower us to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we just stand up and worship the Lord together?